Welcome to The Naked Truth. Peace to you. We're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Numbers. I know it's Saturday night and we're used to doing the Gospels, but since we did an early, one earlier today at the start of the Saturday uh, in modern times, rather than at the end of it, uh, which is actually, I guess, in old times, the beginning of Sunday, I figure why not do one tonight? That way we can go ahead and make some progress in the 60 plus books that are not what Jesus had to say. So we're in the book of Numbers. That's the fourth book of the Bible. So like I said, mentioned, alluded to before, it's not going to be red letters. We're not going to read quotes of Jesus. Um, and this reading, although we may reflect on some, because sometimes Jesus did in his ministry. So all that being said, we're in the book of Numbers chapter 12, and we're going to begin with verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So although some preachers and teachers and theology will have you believe everyone is blonde and blue or some complexion near that, clearly that's not the case, the people in the Bible that is. Because for one, like I said again and again, all these events are taking place so far in what we now call the Middle East and even before that in Africa. And it's not hard to figure out what complexion most people in Africa are. So, um, and even now you see here, Moses himself has married an Ethiopian woman, which is a woman from Africa. And don't forget the people, the congregation, the Israelites, the children of Israel, however you want to call them, were also in Africa for four centuries and enslaved part of that time, but not the entire time. So there was almost certainly mixing of people. Uh, if the people already weren't all similar complected anyway. And remember, people may look differently now in many parts of the world, but don't forget the colonization happened. Something that people in the islands, God bless them, have had enough of and said thanks, but no thanks to the continuing of it with the crown. So good for them. God bless them. Hopefully they fare better than the Haitian people have being excluded from prosperity intentionally for uh, fighting against enslavement of their people and locked in poverty ever since because they're not allowed to do business with the rest of the world. It's really quite wicked, and but it's all entirely planned and plotted. But hopefully they can overcome it and hopefully the world can at some point soon. So anyway, you see Moses is married again. So he's not married just to the one other woman who was from Africa, because remember, he has a father-in-law already named Jethro and sometimes called Raul, um, who just recently was trying to part from them. And maybe that's why, because he noticed his son-in-law has taken up with another woman other than his daughter. It didn't really get into the why. But here you see Moses has taken up with another woman, um, and this time a woman from Ethiopia. Um and apparently his brother and sister, that's who uh, Moses and Aaron are. We've read about Aaron. Moses, by the way, just in case you don't know, is the same Ten Commandments, Moses. Aaron is his brother and Miriam is his sister. He was estranged from the both of them during the period when the African people, the Ethiopians, I'm sorry, the Egyptians, um, were getting scared that the people they were enslaving, the children of Israel as they're called, were becoming too numerous for the land. And so they began to persecute and even uh, just kill off the baby boys so that they would not reproduce. And it may sound crazy, but it happens in relatively modern times when you consider that that's similar to what um, the China did when it came to the one-child policy, where if the child was a girl, 
she was killed or thrown out, given up. Whereas if it was a boy, they let the boy live. In the case we're reading here, it's if the child was a girl, she got to live. But if it was a boy, then the boy was killed. So it's the same sort of wickedness and and, uh, population control, um, just taking a different form. Um, Verse 2. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. So why would they have beef with Moses marrying uh, another woman, specifically an Ethiopian woman? It says that's the reason why they spoke up and were upset about it. Um, Is it because there was racism back then, too, that they didn't like the fact that Moses was marrying a black woman? It's entirely possible. You see, that's what a whole lot of the evil in America is based on now, thousands of years later. Interracial marriage laws, there were laws against it at one time, and only recently did they end. And in some parts of the country, they're trying to bring laws like that back. Since they never really left off the books, they just stopped being uh, prosecuted. As well as the same thing with sodomy laws, they're still on some books in some parts of the country. They just don't necessarily go after them. Uh, unless they, you know, unless there's an opportune time, like the devil likes to use, and it seems modern times are an opportune time. That's for all the controversy over critical race theory that's not even taught in schools in K through 12 anyway, um, is so rallied against. And like I said in the last reading, if you really want to make some money, go ahead and make sure that you get on, go to those districts where they're banning books over things like critical race theory or the don't say gay bill and that sort of stuff go there and have them ban the bible suggest they ban the bible because we've read how uh, same-sex activity is condemned in some parts of the bible but jesus himself the leader of the christian faith says differently in luke seventeen thirty-four. so force people to come to a head with what they claim they believe and what's actually written and maybe we'll get somewhere in the world, at least in this country, to start the world on a different path rather than the hypocritical nonsense that keeps going on, like interracial marriage being opposed as something against God. So, And just like with that, they also use Bible verses to support that kind of racism also, by the way. So um, now in verse 2, his brother and sister Aaron and Miriam are saying, well, Moses ain't the only link to God. We can talk to God, too. So it it ended that verse with, and God heard it. The Lord heard it, I should say. Um, That sort of alludes to some reaction coming in verse 3. Let's see. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. So it seems that that's where Moses seems to win out and get some grace in the fact that he's humble and not haughty, at least according to the narrator. So let's see how that plays out. Verse 4. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you there, to the tabernacle of meetings. So the three came out. I'm sorry, you three. So let's read that again. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. And that's with an exclamation point. So the three came out. So the three of them have been summoned to the tabernacle of meeting. And it's not clear how they're hearing that voice in summoning. Are they hearing it as a voice in their head guiding them to it? Like you would like the spirit, like you might like you might think of the spirit uh, moving people to do something. Or are they hearing it audibly? If they're hearing it audibly, we read previously that the place where they would hear the voice coming from 
or at least Moses would speak to God the Lord from was the tabernacle of meeting from the mercy seat behind the cherub's wings that were spread out over it. So how is it they're hearing the voice now and being told to come to the tabernacle of meeting um, if, they aren't already, if they aren't already there to hear that voice? Figure it out however you can, just reading it as it says. So they were obedient to the summoning and they went out to the tabernacle of meeting. Verse 5, then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam and they both went forward. So now I could have gone over before in the previous readings of uh, the appearances of this um, pillar of cloud or pillar of fire and the Lord, quote unquote, appearing in it and i only say that just in case it's your first time reading with me the word lord here is translated from the word jehovah in other places it's the word l yell and in other places it's some other things in the bible but all being translated to the word lord so and they seem to have different personalities and different demands of the people they're interacting with in one case we read about um the lord eating with um, uh, who was it? Abraham just before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then we read about another place where the Lord is wrestling with Israel slash Jacob, the person, not the nation wrestling, physically wrestling with the person and the person overcomes the Lord in that, um, in that narrative. And now we're reading about the narrative of the Lord appearing to Moses, Aaron and Miriam at the tabernacle meeting in the doorway in that pillar of cloud. And I say all that because they're getting all these different um, FaceTimes with the Lord. And yet, as I've said before, if you read into the New Testament, the book of John, for instance, at the very beginning, chapter one, says no one's seen God at any time or heard, heard his. And then if you read the book of John, it says no one has seen God at any time or heard his voice or seen his form. So how in the world can both of these be true? Figure it out as best you can. We're just reading it. So verse six, they've been called out there and now this is the message. Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. So now it's uh, the people are the three of them are being told the two specifically Aaron and Miriam. The two have a pro who have a problem with Moses interracial marriage, assuming Moses, too, wasn't dark skinned or black. Um. They have an issue with it for whatever reason, maybe because of her nationality being from Ethiopia and not from among their own people, whatever the case may be. And But it doesn't seem likely that that's the case because we already read it's a mixed multitude who left with them when they were, were um, emancipated from enslavement in Africa. They didn't just leave alone. Some of the Egyptians left with them when they um, made their exodus from uh, Africa and now where they're at now in the wilderness on their way to the promised land or what we in modern times call Israel or Palestine, the Holy Land. So now the Lord is telling them that uh, if there is a prophet, if there is someone who's in touch with me, in other words, um, then I make myself known to them in visions and in dreams. And um that makes me think of other times where people have had those communications with the Lord, um, if it, with the entity identified as the Lord. It wasn't in a vision or a dream when it was when the Lord was interacting with Adam and Eve, in the in the Garden of Eden. Um, it said the guard, the Lord was walking among them. It wasn't in a dream or in a vision 
with Lot and Abraham in that narrative, and it wasn't in a dream or a vision with um with um the one we just talked about with Israel slash Jacob with the wrestling match. It was in those cases physically appearing to them. And yet here it's saying if there's someone who has that kind of contact as a prophet with the Lord, the Lord makes the Lord known to them in visions and dreams, not in direct physical contact. But let's keep reading. Verse 7, not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. So at this point, and this is going to change, um, the Lord is saying that Moses is faithful and seemingly more so than all the rest of the house of Israel, maybe even in all the creation. And that Moses is special in that way, partly because he's humble and now also because he's faithful and um, and so um, and made a difference with him. As, and there's a difference made with him as far as the appearances and communication that Moses gets with the Lord compared to anyone else in all the house, apparently. Verse eight, I speak with him face to face even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So now we know for sure there are contradictions here, unless, again, either the Lord changes and is not the same yesterday, today, and forever, unchanging Frankenstein monster type being that's just a computer that hears what's said and spits out results. And it's uh, arbit very arbitrary about who gets what, but instead changes and changes and changes like with the dietary rules. So uh, if you're just going by what's written, that's even going to change because Moses is going to be considered not worthy to even make it into the promised land at the end of the day, which surely the Lord must have known that moment was down the line uh, even before it happened, like even at this moment when he's telling them how faithful Moses is. But whatever the case may be, it's saying here that the Lord does have FaceTime with Moses or Moses does get FaceTime with the Lord. And things aren't in obscure sayings or visions and dreams that have to be uh, interpreted or to be understood. Instead, it's saying here that the Lord communicates with Moses plainly, straight out, easy to understand. And then ask them, well, since I have that kind of close relationship with Moses, that's unlike any other. How is it you weren't afraid to speak against him? How is it you're sassing him? The one I'm so close to is what it seems to be saying. So verse 9, so the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. So don't overread that. Don't read over that where it says the Lord was angry at the fact that they had sass for Moses. But remember, it says they and them. So that's plural. He's not just the Lord was not just ticked at one of them. It says the Lord is ticked at them. But look and see how patriarchy plays out. Even in the t telling of the story, male chauvinism plays out in the narrative of what's happening with the same Lord that's supposed to be not a, a respecter of persons and sees us all as equally. So saying all that, the Lord is angry with them, Aaron and Miriam. And then departed, as in turned off, went off, and left. So what happens? Verse ten. And when he de and when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So when it says lep leprous, it's calling talking about leprosy, a skin disease, um, but it affects more than the skin. 
but um, in, it's a general term, an umbrella term for uh, different types of skin diseases that can happen, including eczema. And it sounds like here vitiligo, but it could be some other disease that's apparent. It's not like something that's internal. It's obvious and external. And many times it's even contagious so that orders for things that we call now social distancing are laid out for people who are infected with it so that the contagion does not spread. But don't read over what happened. The Lord went off after their sass and struck them. But who did, who got stricken? It wasn't Moses and it wasn't Aaron and Miriam. It was only Miriam. Only the woman got stricken. Both of them sass. Both of them had that smoke for Moses for marrying an Ethiopian woman. But only the woman, Miriam, uh, suffered for it. Does that sound like an almighty God who sees everybody the same way and does not have patriarchy or male chauvinism at heart? It sure sounds male chauvinistic to me because otherwise, why wouldn't Aaron be stricken also? It's not like Aaron was the only high priest. Aaron has a line of sons. Two have already been killed, but he has other grandchildren and two other sons who are taking part in the ministry. So it's not like someone else couldn't have come along to replace Aaron as the high priest. And yet Miriam is the only one who's stricken. So we're just reading it as, as it's written. So let's keep reading. So Aaron said to Moses, oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we've done foolishly in which we've sinned. So Aaron is um, saying we as if he's stricken also, I guess he has heart for his sister and he knows in his heart that he was just as sassy, just as wrong for um, speaking out against Moses just for marrying someone Ethiopian for whatever that reason may be. So Aaron realizes it. And yet that's not how it played out. Only Miriam was stricken. Um, the only suffering Aaron is seems to be experiencing is regret that his sister is paying for the sin, maybe, and that he's not. And I can kind of relate to that. I remember as a kid when um, my younger sister and I were in elementary school, and after we learned how to uh, walk home after school because we lived close enough by to do it, you wait at the at the light with the crossing guard and cross the major intersections there. It's a Bush Boulevard, and it's still a major intersection now. Um, and it's be dangerous to try to cross it as a kid. Even as an adult, it's dangerous to try and cross it other than at the crossing section. But me, um, lear learning bad things from other older kids, decided... Oh, you don't have to wait at the crossing light. You can cross some other place. Just walk up further at, instead of waiting there with the guard. And then when traffic is light, you can jaywalk across the street. The wrong thing. But again, learned it from other people. Learning the wrong thing and picking it up from other people. And shared it with my little sister. But when I shared it with my little sister, I knew it was dangerous. And I told her, we're going to do this now, but only do this when you're with me. If I'm not with you, don't do it thinking like a child does that you tell children what to do right and wrong and they're going to do it even though you know even though now I know even at back then I was told the right thing to do and, and knew what was right and wrong and still chose to do the wrong thing and then shared it with my sister well it came back to bite us and made us suffer in the same way that it made Aaron and um and Miriam suffer in that one day I was sick and had to stay home from school, but my little sister still went to school. But then when school was out, me and mama went to go pick her up. And on the way, driving there, remember, it's not, it's very, very close. So mama knows, knew what time school lets out. So on the way to go pick her up, 
we see my sister uh, jaywalking, skipping the crossing guard section where you every where you're supposed to cross, and cutting across traffic. So of course, Mama picked her up and tanned her hide. And when we got when we got home, and during the process, my sister, of course, called out that I'm the one who showed her how to do it. And so my mama turned to me and was like, "Is that true? Did you show her how to do? Are you the one who told her to do that?" Of course, being a kid, I lied. I figured <laughs> I lied because I didn't want to get a whooping too. And so I got out of a whooping that way. And then afterwards, I felt bad just like Aaron did here. And I went to my little sister. I was like, I'm sorry. I, you know, I led you the wrong way, way. I told you the wrong thing to do. But I did tell you not to cross without me. And and uh, what sense does it make for us both to get a whooping? So that was my way of getting out of it. I was wrong for it. And me and her obviously have moved way past that now. We even get a laugh about it now. But thinking about it back then, it's sort of like this. She suffered the consequences for what the elder, I don't know if Miriam, I don't recall if Aaron was older than Miriam. I kind of think that he was. I don't remember though. You could go back and see for yourself in the book of Exodus. If you want to look it up yourself, but either way, um, the Aaron escaped the punishment that both of them actually, it seems to me, both of them deserved. And I escaped part of the punishment. I still got punished for in the sense that I felt guilty about it and had to de- live with that. And, and, you know, that's not the same as getting a whooping, but it's, it's your uh, punishment, I guess, that it changed me. I didn't do it again. I didn't lead my sister wrong in the wrong way again, knowingly. Um, and I try not to do that with anyone. That's part of what the purpose of the naked truth is. Because uh, trying to share the truth with you so that knowing that there are lies out there, like the the bad info I got about jaywalking, it's out there and it's abundant. And a lot of people do it, but it doesn't make it the right thing. It doesn't make it the safe thing. And so that that's, has played into why I'm trying to point out what the truths are that actually are buried and stifled among all the other things that are out there from the church to the family, even to the Bible. So having said all that, back to verse, now back to verse 12. Um, Aaron has basically begged um, uh, uh, Moses to um, help them out for their foolishness in being racist or however you want to think of it. Verse 12, please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So apparently Miriam's striking with leprosy is a lot worse than vitiligo. I mean, in appearance, not to minimize the uh the the stigma and things that go with being having the blotchy skin i had that as a little kid also um but uh, apparently her situation was even worse it sounds something like she had a skin disease that included open sores and that sort of thing with oozing and all of that more like skin ulcers than just uh skin blotches but uh, it was bad enough that her brother is begging their brother to help them out, intercede for them, and um, try and help um, heal their sister. Verse 13, so Moses cried out to the Lord saying, please heal her, O God, I pray. So now, even though Moses was the object of their ridicule, just for following his heart, we're assuming it's his heart that made him marry the Ethiopian woman, but um, whatever the case may be, he's um, interceding for his um on his brother and sister's behalf 
for um what's for them reaping what they sowed and being shady to him for marrying the Ethiopian woman. So let's see how that plays out. Oh, sorry, it skipped the page. Um, okay, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out, shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. So the Lord has already left them in the pillar. So are they hearing it again? Are they hearing this as like a, a voice coming from the clouds? Is it emanating from the mercy seat again? Like the Oz narrative, like we in, in movies or how's, how are they hearing it now? It's not really clear, but they're hearing it. A response to Moses request is that, look, if a human being, if her own daddy was mad at her and spit in her face that would be enough for her to be shunned for seven days is what it's basically saying um so since someone much higher the lord almighty at least according to what how it's written has um punished her for something then at the very least she should be shut out of the camp for seven days so um it seems that that's her punishment again nothing from from for aaron who is, according to the narrative, is just as guilty as his sister is, as their sister is, and yet she's the one suffering for it, and Aaron uh, physically is not. Maybe because Aaron did lose two sons already for just trying to be pious and make that offering, and they were stricken down by fire um, in an instant, that sort of instant karma we talked about before. So maybe that's why the Lord is overlooking Aaron's sass in this case. But not overlooking Miriam's, she's been stricken with something that's going to cost her seven days of social distancing and being um, excommunicated from the rest of the crowd for her um, offense. Verse 15, so Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. So Miriam's sentence for Sass was being uh socially distanced being isolated in contamination basically for seven days um and the people didn't move on until she was brought in again to the fold verse 16 and afterward the people moved from hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of paran so presumably the cloud picked up again and moved them um guided them to the next spot where they were where they were to settle and camp at again in this wilderness of Paran as they're going on their journeys. And that's where this journey is going to end for this reading because that was the last verse in chapter 12. As always, I thank you for reading along with me and hope it's a blessing for you. If you're interested in past readings, uh, you can hear them here on this platform on Anchor, on Spotify, and other podcast platforms including Apple and Google Podcasts. But if you're an adult, you can hear them for free on my podcast, I'm sorry, on my platform, hungtgirl.com. If you click on the links, Body, Mind, Spirit, and Soul, you can find out a holistic view of me, your humble messenger, and my friends, maybe even some of your friends. And if you want to hear specifically the red letter teachings on the naked truth that we've done, I've archived them there with the body and uh, with the spirit and soul pages 
and the Naked Truth archives of the Gospels and other places of what it is Jesus actually had to say. Because like I said, what Jesus says in the Bible is only a tenth or a tithe of the entire, entire Bible, only appearing in six of the 60 plus books in the Bible. And generally, we, generally we read those on our Saturday readings. And like I said, we did one and I posted it earlier. But to help get on with um, what the rest of the book says and what how it points to why we should focus on what Jesus has to say, especially as Christians, that's what we usually do on our Saturday night, Saturday readings. And you can hear those on my site and feel free to help me out by uh, joining me here on the podcast by subscribing here or by making a donation or by enjoying the free content or by clicking on the vid- pictures on the site. There are free videos for you to enjoy. Stay safe. Thanks again for joining me and I hope to see you again soon. Be Peace be with you. See you next time. We're going to do a top 10 countdown of the 10 topics that churches most confuse or use to deceive and lie to their uh, flock about, even though the Bible says the exact opposite. So we're going to do our top 10 list, beginning with, uh, we'll go start with some of the lighter ones, starting with people who say God is not the author of confusion, for instance. So let's see what the Bible says. At the very beginning, the book of Genesis, right? It says, this is God speaking. If you're going to believe it's God saying, come, let us go down in there, confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. That's where the whole Tower of Babel uh, story comes in, where where, uh, clearly God is the original author of confusion. Why else would he say that if you're going to believe that's God? So that's just a light example of how churches will slide lies into the picture and confuse. And if you're not careful, you'll believe it. But that's just one example. If you look further uh, to, for instance, churches will talk, people will go around saying, oh, they don't have any regrets, uh, live a life without regrets, and don't concern themselves with anything about how they've done people and if they've done right or if they've done wrong. They go through life not thinking about the different things that have happened and the way they've treated people. And yet, that's a pretty bold statement since if if you can go through life without regrets, you're doing something God wasn't even able to do. Since if you look back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 7, you'll see that even God himself, if you're going to believe this is God speaking, says, so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So here, if you're going to believe the Old Testament, you've got to believe this is God talking. And even God himself, in the very first book of the Bible, already faces regrets. So if humans are going around without regrets, you're doing something God didn't even pull off. So again, kudos to you. Uh, uh, Realistically, you may want to consider your ways, though, actually. How in the world can you go through thinking that you're, you've accomplished something God wasn't even able to accomplish? But it's possible if that's what you want to believe. But that's just one topic. If, if you want to go further, there's the next thing that churches like to lie to you about. and Or maybe I should say mislead people about, uh, their flock about, 
it it's truly lying though I mean because they it's right there for you to read but maybe they just don't read it so just to be sure we'll go to the book of Leviticus now uh, where it talks about the different food laws and things you're allowed to eat and not allowed to eat so if you go to Leviticus chapter 11 for instance you'll see there's a laundry list of things that you can eat cannot eat aren't supposed to eat can't touch all sorts of things from um, shellfish to pork uh, it's taking its time loading but give it time it should be up let's see uh, Leviticus oh sorry maybe this would help oh it's Leviticus chapter 11 though while this loads uh, you'll see for yourself this site trip sometimes I'm not sure why but let's see oh it's loading just give it time so anyway in Leviticus Leviticus chapter 11 there's all sorts of things you can't eat um, like I said whether it's shrimp and lobster even though churches nowadays think that's just fine they'll picket funerals of gay people or gay soldiers or even just straight soldiers uh, protesting saying it's because of the acceptance of gay people and yet uh, they'll forget all about the lobsters and shrimp and all the other sorts of things you're not supposed to eat also in favor of the things that are on their own hearts and on their own minds instead of what Jesus actually what the Bible actually says and I'm not sure why it's taking so long to load but it's in Leviticus chapter 11 but if you don't want to take my word for it let's see maybe this will do better we'll go on to Genesis chapter 6 here we go alright so this is where we talked about the um, uh, Jesus God having regrets Let's see did it oh Sorry, I said six, but it's actually Genesis chapter. Oh, now we've got Leviticus now. Okay, so let's go with Leviticus. There we go. So, there's Leviticus. And you can see different foods and things permitted and forbidden. And I'm not going to read through them with you. Read through them now because um, I don't adhere to them anyway. But um, I don't believe this is God actually speaking. But if you're going to believe the Old Testament and that this is God speaking and rules laid down by God then one you have to believe that God changed his mind between what he just told us in Genesis and here what he's telling us in Leviticus and um, and that's not even all of it either because it turns out it changes again once you get to the New Testament but that's just an example um, that's the third example so the fourth example would be uh, the death penalty you you know people nowadays will walk around saying that the death penalty is totally righteous and something that should be done and even carried out swiftly as in you should shed the blood of the people who are guilty quick as if they don't know uh, the justice system is slanted against black people and that plenty of innocent people have been murdered through the death penalty it's uh, just state sanctioned murder but people will do that and they'll even have the nerve to cite the Bible and yet if you look back to the very first murder mentioned in the Bible um, 
uh, when Cain murders Abel. Cain is afraid that he's going to face the death penalty. And so he says, surely you've driven, he's saying him out from the face of the ground. He shall be hidden from God's face. He shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds him will kill him. So he's afraid of the death penalty. But what does the Lord say? And the Lord said to him, if you're going to believe this is God, therefore whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So that's clearly God saying, no, it's not for people to uh, take the blood of someone else. If, even if they've committed murder, you know, even if it's the death penalty, it's not for us to do. But then again, you if you keep reading, it turns out that I guess God must change his mind a lot if you're going to believe this is God. Because in the same book, by the time you get to chapter 9, God's changed his mind again about the death penalty. Because if you see, scroll down to chapter 6, uh, verse 6, I'm sorry. Uh, five and six, better said. Surely for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast. I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. So um, for he in the image of God, he made man. And that, we're going to get to that subject, too. But you see here, just that quick. Now, suddenly God has had a change of heart and it's OK to take your to take out, carry out the death penalty on someone. So I guess you have to choose which, who is it you're going to believe? Which verse do you want to line up with your belief system? Uh, but that's, again, that's just the beginning. There are all kinds of contradictions from Old Testament to New, but even from chapter to chapter, even within the same book as we've just read. But um, we'll keep going. The next subject, the fifth one, will be revenge. If you think about um, the Old Testament, what it says about revenge, we can go to Deuteronomy 19 and we'll scroll down to verse 21. And it talks about an eye for an eye. Let's see. Here you go. Uh, you shall not pity. Life, for, life shall be for life. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. Hand for hand. Foot for foot. So seems pretty clear. You, If somebody hurts you, you can hurt them back. And yet... Um, if you go, if you're a Christian, then you, you got to know where I'm going with this. What Jesus actually says about revenge um, in Matthew chapter 5. If we scroll down to verse 39, God, uh, Jesus, if you're a Christian, again, we call God. Uh, Jesus says, but I tell you, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, just like we just read. But Jesus says, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. So Jesus is saying, no, it's not for you to carry out revenge for yourself. Um, even though, like we said, we just read it. Or you're going to believe that's God in the Old Testament talking. God said it's just fine to carry out revenge and do an eye for an eye. So, again, you have to choose. If you're a Christian, Jesus is who you're supposed to be listening to. And these are the letters, these letters in red mean they're quotes of Jesus, just in case you don't know. But we're not done. Those are just the five lighter ones that, um, that, that I found that are contradictions or even outright lies that churches will tell you and still keep people roped into that thinking. The next one, we're, the next five are probably going to be the most controversial of the of of all ten, but you know we're here for. If you're a believer, you're supposed to be about the truth, not about um, 
nonsense. So let's stick to the truth. So if you do a search in the Bible for uh, the phrase uh, feet like brass, you'll see that descriptions come up in Revelation and in Daniel that talk about uh, a description of Jesus and of God. And what do you know? It turns out God's dark skinned. Jesus is dark skinned if you're going to believe it's Jesus in both places. Either way, if you're going to believe it's in, in Revelation, it's directly saying Son of Man and Jesus. But here you see how it describes him physically. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Uh, again, and to the angel of the church of Theotera, these things sa says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. Brass is not pale or pink at all. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms like, and feet like burnished bronze in color. One of the few places the Bible even discusses skin color. And it makes a point to discuss, us, discuss it here and let us know it's describing uh, Daniel's vision of, of apparently a heavenly vision of God or maybe Jesus in heaven or somehow this is God. And uh, if you read it in Daniel, it's God he's talking about. Um, so that's not white. And I saw still another mightily angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud. So again and again, you can see where it, the descriptions are uh brass it's which is not pink it, or it's not white it's brown it's light brown it's golden brown it's not white not that race matters to me but it's so that you know that churches will lie to you but even if that's not enough to convince you you can read further descriptions of what it says jesus actually physically looked like when it describes his hair which absolutely sounds like definitely not white it says his head and hair were white like wool as white as snow and his eyes like a flame of fire and but if you read back in uh daniel i watched till thrones were put in place were put in place an ancient of days which shows that clearly there is aging in a spiritual body was seated his garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool Sounds like an afro to me. Whether it's an afro for a black person or a jufro for a Jewish person, that's not straight blowing in the wind stringy hair. That's woolish. That's fluffy. That's a fro. His uh, throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels of burning fire. Um, so that's Daniel's vision of Jesus or God as we believe him to be. And that's the Old Testament. So again, he's not white. Uh, you may want to believe it, but he's not white. It does. It clearly says he's not white. It, he's it, he's not. So that's one. And like I said, it's going to be controversial if you aren't willing to accept the truth. But it gets even more controversial if you think about what the Bible says, uh, what churches will tell you about uh, weed, marijuana, for instance. Uh, you know specifically, and they'll for, they'll think put all their all their feelings about marijuana on what God says and put words in God's mouth but when it, it actually turns out that God says again if you go all the way back to the very beginning and God said see I've given you every green herb I've given you every herb that you'll see which is on the face of all the earth every tree whose fruit yields seed to you it shall be for food a vegetarian diet but not just that every green herb and in case you don't know it marijuana is called herb because it is an herb also to every beast of the earth to every bird of the air and everything that creeps on the earth 
and which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. So, again, believe what you want to believe, but don't put words in God's or Jesus' mouth. Clearly here, weed is not a, a devil's invention. It's one of the things God gave us to use, to eat, to consume. And if you don't want to smoke it, you there are edibles. So you could still eat that herb, as just like it says here. But the point is, don't let churches just twist the truth and twist their dogma all around your neck and hang you up in things that get you caught up that you shouldn't even be caught up in. So that's just uh, that's the seventh one. So it only gets even heavier from there. Um, if the eighth thing that churches will lie to you about is, believe it or not, heaven, they'll tell you um, um, uh, all of, uh, different things about heaven. And this person's gone to heaven, that person's going to hell, and all of that stuff. But it turns out Jesus says no one has gone to heaven. And don't take my word for it. Go to John chapter 3 and you see it verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Meaning Jesus. That's the only one. I mean, and maybe since Jesus' appearance and crucifixion, the, the gates have been open and more people have been admitted. But Jesus is saying clearly up until this point, up until his coming, up until the mission he arrived to perform, no one, uh, meaning not Adam, not Eve, not anyone has made it to heaven. No one. And churches may try to lie to you and say, oh, your your loved one is resting in heaven. Like I said, maybe they are since all of this has already been accomplished. But Jesus himself, it's in red, is making it clear that up until his coming, no one had actually made it into heaven. No one. I'm, there's no other way around that, even though churches will lie to you about it. So now we go to we make it to the top two things that churches will lie to you about, and they are extremely controversial. But again, are you going to worry about what people think? Or are you going to worry about what God says? So the first one is about homosexuality. Churches will, uh, you know, they'll demonize homosexuality left, right, and sideways, and they'll use verses like these: "Where you shall not lie with a male as with the woman, it is an abomination." And there's a laundry list of them in Old Testament, and then Paul picks up some and throws them in in the New. Um, but it turns out that's not what Jesus said. And of course, like I said, you're entitled to believe what you want to believe and try and live by the Old Testament and the New. But why burden yourself with bondage when it turns out if you're a Christian, you have an out, you have an option because these are not the teachings of Jesus. None of them are in red. But if you do want to see what Jesus says about homosexuality or even not even homosexuality, but a male lying with the man as they would with the woman, as it says here, it turns out. Jesus has no problem with that, and you don't have to take my word for it. If you go to Luke 17:34, we'll scroll down and see for yourself. Jesus is telling us about a prophetic vision of the end times and the end of the world as we know it, and what it'll be like when he comes again, what we call the second coming. He tells us here, just after talking about Sodom and Lot's wife and all that, and we know what's tied to Sodom and Gomorrah, the whole thought of demonizing homosexuality yet it turns out after jesus talks about sodom and lot's wife who was lost on the exit from sodom it turns out what he says about in the end times <clears throat> excuse me i tell you in that night there will be two men in one bed that lets us know a homosexual relationship a same-sex relationship however you want to whatever tickles your ear easiest it lets you know two people of the same sex are in the same bed and what, what does he say? The one will be taken and the other will be left. 
uh, clearly not both going to hell if you're believing that that's where one's going to be taken to or left in. One is going to be saved and one is not. And so it doesn't matter that they're having that they're lying in bed with another man. It doesn't matter that Old Testament stuff. If you want to hold on to it, feel free. But it's not what Jesus says. And he goes further. He says two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. So that's even more explicit, letting us know that just like the two men are lying in bed together, which we know socially is not something. It has a social implication. It did then and does now. So he's letting us know that's not what's going to bar you from heaven. That's not what's going to send you to hell. That's not what your salvation is based on. And yet, church after church after church will never preach this verse. Never touch this passage. Never let people know the door is open to salvation to whomsoever will. Even if you sleep with other, even if you're male and you sleep with other men, or your feet, a woman and you sleep with other, grind with other women. However you want to look at it, you can hold on to what condemns and excludes, or you can embrace what accepts and includes. It's a choice. Um, so that's like the number nine thing, and the tenth one, probably the most, con- probably the most controversial of them all, is um, about transgender people. And cross-dressing and the like. You know people will condemn that. You know, transgender people, particularly transgender people, black transgender people like myself, are the number one most targeted for hate crimes in the world, in the United States. And even more discriminated against than all the other demographics of people, uh, whether it be old people, Jews, women, blacks, Latinos, all combined even gay people combined, transgender people, particularly black transgender people, are the most targeted for all of that. And it turns out churches, people who call themselves holy and religious, will use verses like this to help back up their hate. Uh, a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, or shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord. So we have this in Deuteronomy, Old Testament, and there are other verses, Leviticus, and they go into the same subject, but they'll skip over what Jesus actually says. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says in Luke that um, that's not what it's about either. He, if you scroll down to Luke, let's go down to, or is it chapter, here we go, chapter 12. Oh, I'm sorry, Luke 12, chapter 20, Luke chapter 12, I'm sorry, uh, verse 22, this passage. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on, clothing. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. So he's letting us know there, it's not about what you put on your body either. Your body, your life is, doesn't have anything to do with the designer clothes you wear or what gender of the clothes you wear. But then just to, to hammer the point home, that just how twisted churches will use the Bible and skip over what Jesus says, what the Bible says, and just preach what they want you to know. Look at the beginning. Go back even to the beginning if you don't want to embrace what Jesus says. At the very beginning of the Bible when it talks about the creation of man. We'll go to Genesis. Let's see. Oh, one. Here we go. This is the very beginning. Like, it, if you're a believer, this is the beginning. Uh, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, 
he created him male and female he created them so it's saying here at uh, you could read over it but it's saying that the, the creations at the beginning were created both male and female as in hermaphrodites which actually line aligns with a lot of what we know biologically about um, all sorts of different uh, species very few, well there's only a few but there are hermaphro hermaphroditic uh, species of uh, of life on the earth like a worm for instance is able to produce asexually having both male and female parts doesn't need to have sex to reproduce so it would make sense that if truly Adam was the first creation that he would be um, hermaphroditic having both parts because if you read further how else could how else could um, you uh, give birth otherwise? How else could you procreate otherwise? But just uh, to be sure, if we read further in Genesis, also um, verse two, and go down to verse five, it lets us know here that just so you don't think that he already created men and women at that point where it says he created the male and female, you see here where it says this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground so that lets us know here a couple of things that there was no man yet just like it just said so that lets us know those creatures created the beginning just now we read before Genesis 2 before this passage that were created male and female are not the same creations that he's talking about that we're reading about here I believe those creations were probably the angelic cherub seraphim those sort of creatures I believe those entities I think that's what the first creation those male and female in the image of God I think that's what uh, was created there in one in Genesis 1 since again there's no man created yet by the time we get to Genesis 2 but then to hammer the point home to buttress that argument if you read further in Genesis also well, I think it's Genesis let me see yeah it is Genesis if we read a little further down that um, after he created um, Adam male and female not just male hermaphrodite uh, we go a little further and where is it I think it's 21 let's see Okay, so yeah, we have here Adam naming all the creatures, and here we go. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. So this tells us a lot of things that churches will read over also, that clearly Adam himself was hermaphrodite. He was part male and part female. Otherwise, how could the female be taken out of him? And I think physical proof of this is most males, if you look between our legs, um, in the, what's it, the perineum, that area between the anus and the testicles, there's a line going up between sort of sealing the two halves of your body. At least on me, it's like that on just about every guy I've ever seen has that same thing. It seems to me more likely that that's where, and that's the where the female part would go also. It seems to me that's the part where the that separated the female from the male in Adam. And that part is pure speculation, but it sort of makes sense if you think about it biologically. Like I said, with the hermaphroditic reproduction, asexually. But it makes sense if you look at your physical body, how 
the rest of your body doesn't have a line passing through it like that. Um, but women have a line passing through them in that area. It's open. And men, males have a line passing through us that same way. And it's closed. Just like it says here, the area of the flesh was closed. Um, so we could believe what we want. But the Bible it says many different things that um, people in churches just don't teach or preach or believe or explore or even willing to open their minds to. But it's still there. So that, um, oh, that's the top 10 list. If you'd like to join me to read further and explore more about what the Bible actually says about things, join me for the Naked Truth. We'll be doing our regular reading in just a moment um, if you have the time. Or you can check out the collections area here on Twitch of past readings while they last. Or if you're an adult, you can go to my website, hungtgirl.com, hungtgirl.com, sorry. Click yes, and you'll be taken into the adult area. You can click on the pictures. They're actually free videos. Um, you can explore the links on the left about my body, mind, and soul. And uh, you can check out the Living Water Chapel page to see what the Bible says more specifically about these different topics and when we read over them. Or you can join me again for our Matt and Mark Mondays where we go over those Gospels, or John Luke Wednesdays, where we go over those Gospels. Thank you so much. Stay safe. God bless you. And please, love your neighbor as you love yourself by wearing a mask and washing your hands. Stay safe. Peace.